The By the Hood podcast is brought to you by Discover Your Options. Getting started with trading options may seem intimidating, but with the Discover Your Options bootcamp, you'll be up to speed faster than you could have ever imagined. No matter what your ultimate goal is, learn the basic skills and gain all the confidence needed to ultimately win in the exciting world of options. Go to By the Hood University and click on the link for Discover Your Options to receive the code for 60% off the bootcamp. That's right, 60% off. Remember, go to Buy the Hood University, look at Discover Your Options, and get 60% off. What's up, people? Welcome to this episode of the Buy the Hood podcast or webcast because I don't know how you're consuming this content. I'm your host as always. My name is Jimmy. And as we start off every one of our shows, that's with gratitude. Just want to say thank you to uh, everyone who supports anything we do. That's whether you're copying our merch, whether you're sharing a video, um, our, especially our students at Buy the Hood University because the university is growing. We have a lot of amazing students. And shout out to all the students that are making money and um, you know posting those screenshots in our private group because it's all inspiring and we help each other. Um, and everyone who supports the channel, Salute to all you guys. Make sure that you subscribe and hit like on this video as well because we're trying to build out our YouTube content and uh, build our YouTube channel up. Um, I'm joined by my partner in crime as always, Corey. Corey, what's up, bro? Man, you know, you know, living a dream every day above ground is a good day. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that. And and for the folks maybe listening for the first time, our platform is designed to highlight brothers and sisters who look like us who are doing amazing work in the community, building businesses, helping other folks. And we have a very, very special guest on this episode. We have our sister from the Black Wealth Project. She has um, built up an amazing business with the Ivy Investor. She's also an attorney, and she will cuss you out as we find out every Sunday. So without further ado, <laughs> Courtney, how are you? Wait, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for that. Listen, I... you, you tell it like it is, though. You tell it like it is. Listen, and we love you for it, but... How you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm great, uh, great. We're doing amazing. We finally got to track you down and got you on the show. Um, and our show is about your story. It's not really about us. It's about highlighting your story. So before we get into it um, about what you got going on now, let us know about your background. Where are you from? Where did you go to school? All the other good information about Courtney. Who is Courtney? So who is Courtney? I mean, I think that's that's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. I know that was real loaded. How about this? Though? Let's start with this, though. Where, where are you? Where are you originally born and where'd you go to school? So I was actually born in like central Jersey. Um, my dad was an executive for McDonald's in the early 80s. So um, my mom was actually licensed in Pennsylvania as a nurse. So they kind of had to find like a, a joint place um, in the middle, which was central Jersey between New York and Philly. Gotcha. So um, I was born there and my, and my mom was like, we're not doing this anymore. And my dad was like, I'm tired of being in this corporate America thing. So they moved back to Philly. So I was born in central Jersey and <laughs> raised in Philadelphia, raised in the Mount Airy section of the city. Okay. What schools did you go to up here in Philly? So I went to Catholic school, um, Holy Cross, which is actually in Mount Airy. I went, also went to William... Um, I went to Sicilian Academy, which is actually no longer in existence. It was a all-girls school that was in West Mount Airy, but it closed, oof, I want to say like in the early 2000s, maybe late 90s. Um, I went to um, Holy Cross from there. And then from there, I went to the Philadelphia High School for Girls. Oh, girls high. So oh. Me, me, me and Corey right down the street. We central guys. So, you know. Central lights in the house. 
Yeah, yeah. We know about girls high though. It's like shout out to y'all. Um Yeah, so <laughs> you, wait, wait, wait. So I have a question for you guys then. Were you guys playing dominoes? Yes. At lunchtime? I, I, I was the I was the originator of the dominoes at lunchtime. Actually, that was, that I was about was to say Corey 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 ran a dominoes game at, at, at Central. Like, you know, that, that was, was that that was, that was that was my that was my job. I literally <laughs> sat in the lunchroom all day and played dominoes. Wait, did you go to class? Never. Not once. Listen. Okay. Me, okay. Me and Corey, me and Corey played on a ball team together, and that was the only time I saw him outside of the lunchroom. I'm like, where does what classes does he have? But his story is a uh, matter of fact, Corey, one day we gotta do an interview with you, man. I gotta interview you to tell your story. <laughs> Corey never went to school, but it was, it was weird though. So that's how me and Corey clicked because Corey was like one of the smartest guys, but he never went to class, and I never understood it. So he was like an enigma himself. But but anyway, getting back to girls' high. So girls high for those who uh, may not be from the Philadelphia area, that is one of the uh, best schools in in the city. So, you know, obviously you, you you're very intelligent uh, as a young lady. Um, so where'd you go to college at after that? Because when you said you went to girls high, I know you went to college. It's not a matter of like you know, did you go to college? Where'd you go to college? So I went to the University of Pittsburgh, and actually, funny that you said that. So when I think I was like in the tenth grade or so. And I feel like, you know, looking back now, I actually had more sense than I thought I did. I told my parents, I was like, why do I need to go to college? And they were like, what? And I was like, why do I need to go to college? Like they were trying to get me to basically straighten up and fly right because I am smart, but I am not a good student. I will not tell you those stories or those lies. I am not a good student. You know, it's just is what it is. But you have to know yourself. So I share that with you guys to say, you know, these are the things that I'm working on. And I was just very tired of school. I was very tired of just people, you know, and I was like, I don't want to do this. And I was like, I'm just going to quit and go, you know, to a regular school and I'll get my GED or whatever and I'll figure out a way to make money. And then my parents were just like, absolutely not. Are you crazy? You know, my on my dad's side, we're like third generation college. My mom went to college and my parents were just like, this is not, no, no, no child of mine, you know, but now I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I was on to something. Oh, That's interesting true. to hear you say that because you have more degrees than a thermometer. And, you know, <laughs> and, and I know you do all the research to hear you say that I wasn't a good student. Like, how um, does one who's not a good student even like get into girls high? Like to say I'm not a good student. That's very interesting. So, so I mean, <laughs> so here's the thing. I mean, like, let's be a very like transparent. Like, I'm still I don't have to open a book to actually do OK. So that's the thing. Like I could like easily do like an A minus with just going to class and kind of paying attention, but not really. Um, but that was me. And one of the things I kind of, so I was, I kind of chuckled when Corey's like, well, I didn't go to class. I'm like, well, I appreciate that. Cause I, I definitely cut a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would, listen, listen, but I actually did not do well in Spanish at all. Like, I think I got my first D in Spanish cause I refused to memorize what she wanted me to memorize. I'm like, I'm not doing that. That's not learning a language. That's memorization. I think that's silly. That's not comprehension. So at 15, I, 15, I had a whole bunch of stuff going on, but yes, I do have a whole bunch of degrees. I went to university of Pittsburgh and I have a philosophy degree. Um, a bachelor's in philosophy. Then I went to, um, I worked as a stockbroker for six years. So I worked at Ameriprise, American Express, which is now Ameriprise. Then I went into banking. So I worked at uh, PNC Bank. And then from there, um, I got recruited to work at Merrill Lynch. So I started off in 401k service. So I know all the things about 401ks and all that other stuff. And then I got promoted to assistant vice president where I worked in global wealth management. And I basically was, I worked as a financial advisor's financial advisor 
um, in terms of allocations and portfolios. I did what's called separately managed accounts. That was primarily my um, my my work, which is basically mutual funds on steroids. So instead of owning a mutual fund directly, like because you only own shares of a mutual fund, you own the individual shares of the stock of the portfolio. So it allows it's a lot more tax efficient. Um, it's basically anybody who has a lot of money should never be in a mutual fund because of the embedded gain. So you're able to control your tax impact to your portfolio and your life. So, and then, right, so, you know, so the market crash. And I, know, and I know, you, I know you hate mutual funds because we talked about this the other day and I'm, okay. I have like a huge amount of my net worth in a mutual fund. But I, the reason why is because as I was building it up over the last several decades, it, it, it mm -hmm. prevented me from just selling it off. Like, because again, you talk about knowing yourself, right? Yeah. And the thing about ETFs, in my experience, like you know, mm -hmm. and even with myself, I find myself trying to you know trade as opposed to just buying and accumulating. So, um, but it's interesting. You talk about not being a good student, but also you mentioned about being self-aware, and I think that's so important. I think that's that's one of the most important things you said about being self-aware. Um, yep. My question to you, though, based on what you just said, is how do you go from philosophy to like big banking? Like, what was it? that led you like from one, you know, were you always thinking about banking even with philosophy or what were you trying to do with the philosophy degree? Let's put it that way. What was I trying to do? I was trying to go to law school. So that's really all it was. I was going to law school. Pitt has like the number one or number two um, philosophy program at the time. I probably still is the same way. Like who, like who outranks people in philosophy? Not, no one's like rushing to the top of philosophy. So whatever. Um, that being said, um, I was just going to go to law school. I, I had kind of a couple of business courses that I took in, in college. I definitely took macro econ. I took micro econ. I took financial accounting. I took business statistics, took business calculus because I was going to do like a dual degree or dual major in business. And then I was just like, Meh, I'm good. I don't really want to work hard. See, I told you I was a bad student. And I just kind of gave it up. But I had all that business background and I was an inroads. And I was an inroads, um, I guess an inroads scholar. Is that what we were yeah, called? That's what it's called. Um, so I was an in inroads, so I had that um that business experience. So it wasn't just kind of like just shooting in the dark, but my honest goodness, I was just gonna go straight to law school. But after I got tuckered out in school, I was like, eh, I was like, this is too much. I decided to uh, take some time off. My parents were like, that's great. You know, you got you graduated. You know, my dad got me a car. He's like, all right, live your best life. You need to get a job. So I put my little resume on Monster. And the only job that um, hit me up was American Express Financial Advisors. They were like, do you want to be a financial advisor? And I'm like, oh, let me look at all my job offers. Oh, I don't have any? Well, sure. What do I got to do? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that, that answers the question. That answers the question. But, but it's interesting yeah, you said that too about the philosophy though. degree. I remember when I went to law school and I was talking to um you know one of the recruiters at, um for a law program, and he said that one of the mistakes people make are um, majoring in pre-law when they're undergrad. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that they like to have um a mix of students with all different types of majors when they bring you into a law school. So a lot of people who major in pre-law don't even get accepted in law schools because they don't want a bunch of pre-law students. They want to have philosophy. They want to have business. They want to have like education, people from all different kinds of backgrounds. So um, anybody watching, think about law school, think about that. Um, That's but, true. Yeah. So yeah, I actually paid my way through law school as the minority recruiter. So that was the conversation that I had ah. all of the time. my last two years of law school were paid for. And I also got a stipend. So, no, I wasn't balling. I mean, it was, you know, I was just living the life. But that being said, um, 
that that's that was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So did you fall in love with like finance immediately once you start working there or you know, because you said you had some business background, but that, that's basically mm-hmm. the job that was offered to you. Like, did you fall in love with it immediately? Like, how did you get to this point where, like, you know, and I know that you love what you do because I, I read your articles. Like, you're, you're one of the only folks within the, the, the space that still, like, you know, does long-form writing and you do, do research or whatever. So, you know, I like to share your articles because you save me time in talking to people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so did you fall in love with the finance right away or is it something that you grew to love? So definitely I think I fell in love with finance like immediately or at least I've always been that kid that was like, I don't know if you ever went to the store and, you know, back in the day we used cash. So, you know, they, I would put my hand out like, hey, you know, um, when we would kind of check out the supermarket and they would try to give me the change. I'm like, oh, I don't want the change. Give me the dollars. And my mom's looking at me like, what job <laughs> do you have? So there was always some kind of idea that I had going on with money, if that makes sense. So it was kind of like I had a concept. What I was going to do with it? I don't know. I was like, hmm. And so, so I, I think that was the thing. And I, and I was actually had like a little jewelry business when I was like 12 or 11. And so it was kind of like I had like a little bug. And my dad was an entrepreneur, too. So it was kind of like I always had this thing going on in the background if that makes sense. But I never kind of really acted on it. And then when I got into finance, I was like, oh, I feel like I'm at home. You know? Got you. Yeah. Got you. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, so how do you, so now you do you do all this. How do you come up with the idea for the Ivy investor? Where like where did that inspiration come from? Ooh, my friends actually, my friends are a lot of my inspiration, which is which is pretty I guess it's pretty dope. It is. Uh, my friends really kind of you know, they, what was going on is that I, so I went to law school. So the market crashed, the market crashed in 08, um, Bank of America purchased Merrill Lynch. We, let me tell you how we didn't know. I did not know. I found out on the news. I was driving to work from a client. Um, like what up, so this, mean, this is as you're an employee of Merrill Lynch. You didn't know. No, I'm <laughs> driving in and I'm like, I hear it on the news. They're like, yeah, you know, Bank of America, you know, Bank of America purchased Merrill Lynch today. I was like, Merrill Lynch who? My job? So I'm looking at, and mind you, I had a Blackberry. I'm looking at my Blackberry, like maybe, you know, I think it was, was it John Thane at the time? I think it was John Thane because it was, it was, um, it was a black guy before him and I can't remember his name right now. But, um, so I was Stan. It was Stan O'Neill before him. So I'm looking at the email. I'm like, wait a second. So I, all day I'm checking my email and I'm like, somebody going to tell us something? And maybe like three days later, they're like, oh yeah, we got bought. Huh? Wow. wow. Like, but, but see, but at the time there was so much chaos. First of all, like I, like I said, I did separately managed accounts and one of the separately managed account strategies was a bond strategy run by who, who y'all Lehman. No, Lehman brothers. Lehman brothers. So I'm sitting here and they were like, Lehman fell. I was like, who, who fell? And I mean, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm hot. I'm like, getting, you know, I'm in my, I'm in my, my my mid to late twenties. I'm like, I was like, are we activating Sipic? Is Sipic coming on? I was like, oh my gosh, oh, oh my gosh. I mean, so this was like, so so I give you that background, like, and then there was like a California bank every other day falling down, and then you're just like, so so I share that with you guys to say, yeah, you know that was crazy, but it's no more crazier than the rest of the nonsense going on during that time. That's true. That is true. Because uh, that was interesting times to live in. Like, I remember, like, 
literally on a daily basis as someone who was at the time who was invested in the market and following the market. You just see these big institutions. I remember what the biggest one to me at the time, like I couldn't believe Countrywide because Countrywide was such yep. a huge organization and the, and the way they went down. I'm just sitting there watching it from day to day because I'm like, I'm going I'm to buy a bunch of this stock. And I remember it got down to like 44 cents. And I was like, hold up. Uh, this thing might go to zero. Like, you know what I mean? Like you see these things, you see these companies now speaking of like inflated valuations, what we have going on now with COVID. And it's like hard to imagine some of these big institutions literally going away. And that's what was happening at that time. Uh, big businesses that you thought would never go away were just get, either going away or getting acquired. Um, when they went down to being close to next to nothing, getting acquired. Right. So living through 08, is, is very interesting. So you, you see the bulls and the bears in terms of the market, but um, when you yeah, go through man. what happened, when you, we see, when you go through what happened, like in um, with the dot-com bubble and you see what happened there, which was absolutely insane. And then you see what yeah. happened in 08 is like, you know, that is history. And like now we see things um, happening, but you know what I mean, Corey? So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did like in 08, I was, I was actually in college in 08. Like I had, I had just went back to school. So to, uh, to finish up my uh, my undergrad because you know I I, I, did, I took the long way to undergrad I went I went I, well I went to undergrad then I went to the army then I you know did some went some, back some, undergrad yeah I, I did a whole bunch of stuff in between the army and undergrad too like I, I went to uh, nursing school I have I actually have a CNA and all this other kind of stuff like I went to all these trade schools are you I got your, a bunch you, you and your father. Forrest yeah, Gump I was bag. definitely. Yeah, I was. In, I was definitely in my Forrest Gump bag, and then I said, "All right, man, let me go ahead and get this four-year degree." And then I was actually teaching before I was doing that, um, because I had so much other experience. <laughs> I was actually teaching before I actually went and got my degree um, for teaching. But let's, so, I just wanted to give a little bit of background about 08 because what you said is true about just how actually crazy it was during 08. Um, and how that 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 sounds crazy now, but th those are crazy times we were living in. So you didn't find out from the company right away. <laughs> you found out on the news. But um, yeah, getting back to the the IV investor piece though, like so how how do we how do we get to the IV investor? You said it was your friends. Um, after your experience uh, with Merrill Lynch. So, so yeah, so I went to law school and then I started working at a big firm and that's like everybody's dream. I'm not everybody's dream, but it's a lot of people's dreams. Like, I'm an attorney. I'm going to work at this big firm. I'm going to make this big firm money. And I'm gonna, and they don't tell you you're going to get a big firm headache and yeah. you're going to hate it. And I hated it. Hi. So that being said, like I was one, like I love writing. So as you know, you kind of talked about that earlier. And then, so I started having a lot of my friends asking me questions because they were now in transitions in their lives. They were starting to get married. They were having kids. They were doing all of those things. So they just mm -hmm. were like, court, like, can you tell me more about this? Or I'm about to leave my job and I'm gonna cash out my 401k. Pause, why? Well, because what else am I gonna do with it? Roll it over. What's the rollover? <laughs> and so it was like, I was like, okay, what's a rollover? Well, and then I have to go through that whole conversation. So I can't even have a conversation about what they should do, how they should do it. When I realized people just didn't have a basic knowledge of some of the stuff that they were involving it themselves in on a regular basis. I was like, oh, we have a real problem. 
Like there's a gap because everything that was normal to me and regular and functional and how I ran through 401ks and all these other retirement accounts, that wasn't common knowledge, especially amongst people who looked like me. And I was like, okay, so Houston, we have a problem. And what I can't be doing with y'all is sitting on the phone because if you know anything about, um, and I'll just share this with people, when you work for a big law firm, you actually bill. So you have to account for all of your, your time in basically six minute increments during the day. So I can't be on the phone with you talking about 401ks for an hour. So yeah. I said, listen, I'm gonna write this blog. I'm gonna send it to you. That's gonna give you your basics. Then we can have a real conversation about your options after you understand the basics. So I started doing the blog that way. And people were like, yo, I really love your stuff. And they were starting to share it with other people. And I was like, oh, okay. And this is 2014. I'm like, whatever. And so I was, and so I started just writing. I did some more writing. I started, I had like an Instagram, nothing really crazy. And then um, at some point people asked me like, when are you going to do a class? Now, if you are a former licensed person, you're afraid of everything. Man, listen. And I was like, class? Class for what? Who's doing that? That sounds like investment advice. I'm not giving that. Go away. Like, so again, because you like, listen, compliance is like Big Brother. And FINRA is FINRA. So I was licensed in 2003 under the National Association of Securities Dealers. So that and that's honestly what pe what NASDAQ is named after. So people mm. are like, what's NASDAQ stand for? They, they don't think it even stands for something. It's a National Association of Securities Dealers Automated Quotation System. That's what NASDAQ stands for. And it was the first automated, first computerized trading system ever. And it was it kind of started with the National Association of Securities Dealers. Okay, cool. And then in 2006, they moved over to FINRA. I don't even know what it stands for. I forgot. I don't care. But either way, NASD or FINRA, they're going to come for all your stuff if you start acting up. So Listen, they, they come for your stuff sometimes when you don't act up. Like one of the reasons yeah. I let my securities license go and I had multiple securities licenses was because, yo, it, it got to the point where, um, and this was like after Enron, um, when they was like, listen, um, in the firm I was with, like, we got to turn in our bank accounts every month just to like let them know that we're not co-mingling funds with only stuff. I'm like, listen, and I was still trying to do real estate deals, but it kind of like you, you're right, you get shell shocked into uh sharing information when you're licensed because there's so many things you can't say, can't mm -hmm. say this, can't say that, um, or get yourself in trouble. So Jeff? What's um, that? I, I'm here. Okay, there's Jim. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. Um, At the time <laughs> that you were creating this blog, did you still have a license at that time? Were you still licensed no. at that time? So I let my licenses. So I actually hung my hung my license with Primerica from 2000. So just as a fun fact for everybody out there, you have to have your license associated with a firm. Um. And if it's not, you have two years to kind of reassociate with a firm or you lose them. So I basically left Merrill in 09. So I had until 2011 to get it together. In 2011, I hung my licenses with Primerica. So I had basically until 2013 to decide what I was going to do. In 2013, I was like, you know what? I'm Gucci. Y'all be blessed. Hold I'm on. You had, you had your license with buy term and invest a difference? Um, yeah, I wasn't doing none of that. I, okay, I was just like, I, I need y'all to hold my licenses. 
No, I'm just asking because I know that you're, you're, you're like, uh, that's one of your pet peeves. You hate people say that. So I'm like, oh, this, that's their thing. That is their thing. And I had so many conversations with them. I was like, I think this is stupid. I actually think it's financial malpractice, but I'm going to mind my business. Mm. And at least specifically in Pennsylvania, because we have this inheritance tax, which happens at death. So there's an ongoing obligation, whether you're 50 or 105. And I think, you know, when you're doing this buy term invested difference, I think there's some philosophical issues with it. Just in general, like you're you're making some really big assumptions that you're going to be able to self-insure. You may or may not be able to self-insure based on everything that may happen between the end of the term and when you actually die. I mean, we all know that. I mean, if you've seen some of these covid bills that people are getting, it could just run through their savings like that. Yeah. So and, and to me. The biggest problem with that is, is similar to what I said about the ETF, like um, the the actual uh, the part about the discipline, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Making sure they invest a difference. A lot of people will buy a term and won't invest a difference. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So getting back to your journey now. So so now you're writing these articles and you're sending them out to your friends and, you know, you're, you're building up a little following. Um, what, you know, you're the Ivy investor. So explain the Ivy part. So. Uh... <laughs> So I'm a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Ah, okay. So, but yes, but there's more to the Ivy just to say, oh, it's cute and it's pretty and all those other things. Ivy, and I actually am dealing with a rehab right now. Ivy is one of the strongest plants. It can grow through anything and it will eat right through your brick. And one of the things that you need to be as an investor is you need to be resilient. You have to be strong. You have to kind of be, you have to withstand during tough times because that's how the market goes up and down. So there was a relation. It wasn't just, hey, you know, the Ivy investor because of my AKA. It was just like, no, I really messed with the Ivy plant. The Ivy plant is an amazing plant based on all the things that I shared. And that's kind of what really pushed me to say, yeah, the Ivy investor. Oh, that's dope. It's a little bit of branding right. going on there. Yeah, yeah. It's science behind it, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So, Scientific. So when did you get to the point where you started having like, you know, um, classes or webinars and things like that, um, you know, as you drew this, this blog out? So about 2017, I want to say the end of 2017, um, HB, shout out to HBCU Wall Street. They really kind of like pushed me to do classes because I was, they had a group me like back in the early days of HBCU Wall Street, they had a group me and people Yo, were asking I was in say, there. Were you? Yes, I was. <laughs> I was definitely in there. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, I was definitely in there and people, be, people would ask a lot of financial questions and I was just like, oh, here's the answer. And I would send it out and they're like, yo, that's a really crazy answer. And I'm like, okay, it's just, you know, what I do. So they were kind of like, well, why don't you do a class? And I was like, why? Why would I do a class? And they were like, you should probably do a class. And I was like, okay, why would I do that? So it was kind of that. It was it was that idea. So I had there were a couple of things that I knew about myself. I knew that I had a presence. Um, I would shout out to the Philadelphia School District for the oratorical contest that I won, you know, because I was getting it popping. But I share that. It's like, it's, you in that I, I, yeah, I won the Black History Oratorical Contest twice. When? I think you're older than me, though. I, I'm I'm 43, so I'm, I might be a few years in front of you. But I wanted it elementary she school. She, she's saying she would have cooked you, though. That's what she's saying. We can we can, we can we can we can have it out with the words. You know I, you know my <laughs> you know my pen get busy. <laughs> my my pen get busy. No, but go ahead though. So you said you didn't <laughs> have that. You know you had that about you. And, and what else? <laughs> 
after I had the present. So it was just, and then shot, also shout out to Sonya, the student loan doctor. People were just kind of saying, hey, you should do these classes. And I was like, no. <laughs> but then I, I don't even know what caused me to do classes. Off, offhand, I mean, it was a lot of nudging, but I'm not sure what the kind of like final push was. So I started doing classes. Um, predominantly, I did a investing in cannabis class because people started asking me about it. They're like, hey, what do you think about cannabis investing? Or what do you, they were like, hey, what do you think about cannabis? I was like, you smoke it. And they were like, <laughs> right, but what do you think about it as investing? Now, this is 2017. This is before, um, well before the Canada decided to legalize. They were talking about legalization or adult use legalization because they were already legal medicinally in 2001. So they were like, all right, you know, so there was a rumble, but it wasn't quite going over the top. So it was merely just conjecture. So people were like, well, what should I do? Blah, 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 what do you think? So that's kind of what started me on that conversation, like teaching about cannabis and teaching early stages of Bitcoin, like early, early stages of Bitcoin and just kind of understanding the whole basics of blockchain, which I thought and still think super dope. So I've been teaching classes since then. Um, you know, I'm now considered a cannabis investing expert. Um, I have, I don't know, like six classes, seven classes, something like that. Mm -hmm. that I teach and I mostly teach them live, but you know, some, they're always pre-recorded, they're always recorded and they sit up on my teachable site. And then, you know, I just started. And then I also made a conscious decision on Instagram that one, I was going to make Instagram my thing. So that was, I was going to call it something else. I was like, ah, that's not appropriate. So I was going to make Instagram my platform. <laughs> <laughs> and then I decided kind of how I was going to cultivate my story there in terms of education. Cause again, I felt like people were not really, to your point about long form blogs, people weren't really into those anymore. They're just like, I want to see a picture. Infographics were like really doing something. I'm not a good infographics person. Like I can give you sick figures, but that's about it. So, but I said, well, how can I tell a story about the brand of the IV investor in a way that makes sense, the way that educates and the way that empowers. So I set up my Instagram that way. And then like kind of life started to take off. So gotcha. I put myself in position Life started to take off. And then, you know, I started getting featured in like AARP. I've gotten featured in Forbes. It was just kind of like just all of that. That's that's dope. That's dope. Cause um like your page, your page is amazing because it's like you're always educating, right? You know, so like our page, I like putting up crazy finance memes, but you like educating. So, you know, <laughs> so you, your page is, is pretty dope. Anybody goes to her page and we will put a uh, link to her page within the description so you can check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, but it's always about educating the folks, right? And that's interesting what you said that a lot of people that look like you didn't have the knowledge because I think at times we forget um, when you study this stuff, you have a, a certain uh, understanding of it, and but most folks don't. Give you an example. We had a, um, a student that came through our course and, you know, we, so Corey and I like, you know, try to walk, walk through with him, give him one-on-one uh, consultations as part of uh, the courses. And, you know, I was having this conversation and she was like, uh, yo, these acronyms, like, I don't know what this means or that means because you forget, <laughs> you know, what yeah. I mean? and you forget that people's baseline is different. So her question was like, listen, I understand what you're saying, but what is a brokerage account? Like, why can't I just go to my bank and just buy stock? What's a brokerage account? And I'm like, oh, we got to go all the way back there. Mm -hmm. But you forget mm -hmm. at times, like, you know, and, and people specialize in other things. And I've even seen people who are like, you know, doctors, right? So they're, they're people you would think that have a certain level of intelligence, but they're good at what they do as being a doctor. They have no idea when it comes to personal finance. 
And I'm pretty sure you see that too uh, in helping folks that some people like uh, can be educated in one space mm-hmm. and just have no idea whatsoever. A- right? Absolute mess in, in the financial space. Facts. And the yeah. thing is that they have capacity to do it. But here's the problem is that no one has these conversations with us. And I think we're kind of sold a, a, you know, a bill of goods when they're saying, I mean, I was taught pretty much from my parents, like, hey, you know, go to school, do well, get a good job, you know, retire, buy a house, retire, you know, whatever. That was the story. That's what I was supposed to do. And so when we got out there, I was like, well, wait a second. None of this makes any sense. And then you realize, like, I'm missing a whole book of knowledge back Mm -hmm. here. And I mean, even still, like I had financial knowledge, like I knew stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, options from the Series 7, which is the, the stockbroker's license. But I have no idea. I mean, I did not know my laziness and ridiculousness as a person with credit or being irresponsible with other people's money was going to cause me all kinds of problems. So mm-hmm. even still, like to the, Corey's point about, you know, you can be really educated in one thing and just be a mess somewhere else. like. That's that's my life. That was my life. I mean, <laughs> and I'll be I'll be very transparent because I think it's important for us to have these conversations. I almost got denied admission to the Pennsylvania bar because of my credit. Mm-hmm. And, and just not knowing, yeah. Oh no, I knew. Ooh, oh, you ooh, you ooh, just ooh. oh you was you was running that tab up. That's what it I, was. Ooh, I was. I was raggedy. Ooh, ooh, you knew and you still was funky, huh? But, I was that's a, but that's an interesting point, though, because most people think about it like, okay, my credit is messed up. I can't go buy a car I want or a house. But they don't think about the fact that you almost got denied entry to the bar. And that's why I share it, because I'm like, again, you know, I even and it was like dumb stuff. Like and like I said, I got paid in law school. So it wasn't like I'm broke law school. No, I'm just irresponsible, just irresponsible, y'all. And and I share that with you just to say and it wasn't even like a whole bunch of stuff. Like I had like speeding tickets from D.C. That it went to collections, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I had, um, you'll appreciate this. Um, I had a Bally's account from back in the day on there. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to argue that. I actually had to present my case that I wasn't paying it. And the reason being is that they actually did the okie doke and tried to, I, I canceled properly. I canceled the whole thing properly. And they were, and they popped out of nowhere to say that I owed the debt. No. Nah. No, I don't. And then turns out to my benefit, uh, the New York um, attorney general, which is basically the attorney for the people, had to sue Bally's for the same issue that I was having. Mm -hmm. And it was about to fall off my credit report anyway. So I was like, all right, well, Barr, I was like, how good, how good, how long are my results good for? Because I'll just come back when it falls off. And the same thing with I had like I took a class, um, a couple of classes as an MBA and I never like I didn't finish them. I had a withdrawal because I got a I got a job in Philly and I was living in Pittsburgh and the school just messed up my financial aid. Sent it sent like a six thousand dollar bill to collections. I was like, I'm not paying that. And I told them to their faces, I'm not paying that because I didn't do you made a clerical mistake and you guys are not trying to clear it up. And it was just like a whole problem. And I was like, fine, I'm not paying it. But I had explained that to the bar. Now, thankfully, I'm when I can be ratchet, but I had a whole bunch of documentation, certified letters from both issues from me communicating all the way back to 2007. Now, this is like 2013 of having this conversation with these collection agencies. So they were like, I was like, listen, I'll pay all these other things, but these two things I'm not paying. Yeah. And they were like, conversation. Facts. And they were like, oh, okay, that's fine. 
we'll let you in. But again, I was I was really shaking in my boots. Like, really, like, honest to goodness, I was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And I, but I but I had to, to me personally, I was standing firm. So I was like, I'm not paying these. I don't owe them. This is some bull, some racky fracking bull mess. And I wasn't doing it. And I was OK with actually pushing my bar admission date back because I wasn't going to compromise. And I can get like that. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. And that's that. But I think if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And though that was my hard stop. I was like, no. Yeah, that's 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 I mean, thank you for sharing that, too, because um, that's very transparent because people need to understand that your credit sometimes is not just about not being able to buy the car you want. I have a question for you, though, about something you said. Right. So um, we talk about how in our community we don't have these kind of conversations. And, I, and the question I have and I'm thinking this through is because I wonder if it's just my circle. Do you think that's changing at all or, you know. Cause I know sometimes we can like live in boxes. So I see the conversation more, but maybe it's the people that I surround myself with. Um, what do you think? Like both of you guys, I wonder what both of you guys think about that. You think the conversation is changing a little bit or. No. Really? I think no. it is. No. Listen, no, man. I'm, I'm still in the hood, man. Ain't nobody talking about their credit in the hood, man. Only time they talk about their credit is when they. Hold on, hold on. Listen, listen. man. Only time people talk about their credit in the hood is when they running it up at, at, at some kind of store. Like they still in consumer mode in the hood because they don't, they still lack resources. So I, I that, think, that, I think. I agree with you to a certain extent. I think that they are still in consumer mode, but I think social media has kind of changed where the information is so many people with the information who are trying to share it, that the conversations are happening. But I also recognize it could just be my circle. And you know what I mean? Like I, I try to think about that. Like am I, am I um, caught in the echo chamber where I see the conversations happening? So it seems to be different, but maybe it's not. I don't know. What's your perspective, uh, Courtney? I definitely think it's definitely changing. Um, I think, especially since COVID, I think COVID has really changed a lot okay. of people. Um, also, um, on top of that, like you can look at Tiffany, the Budgetista's group, her group, I got in her group when there was like a couple of thousand people. That thing has grown to almost a half a million people in a Facebook group. So I think there, it, there's definitely a need. And I think people are starting to see like, okay, there's something I'm not doing right. Or there's something I'm not getting. Now, a lot of times, a lot of financial things are focused on what somebody's trying to get or do. So somebody's like, I'm trying to get a house. And now they're like, oh, I'm looking at my credit. Like this ain't going to work. Like, what do I need to do? So I think it's usually focused on something. But a lot of people just don't get right just to get right. And that includes myself. Like, my investments have always been fine. But my other stuff has been like, what are we doing here? You know? Yeah, so, yeah. Again, so I, but I think, again, I think once people kind of get into the idea of wellness, whole wellness, then they're like, you know what? I'm raggedy in this space. I need to fix this. I'm raggedy over here. I probably need to fix this too. And once one of the things that I've seen is that as people in my space get older, they're starting to, some of them, now some of them are still going to be raggedy no matter what. They're going to be raggedy at 30. They're going to be raggedy at 50. They're going to be raggedy at 60. That's just some Me. people. Did you say, oh. you said that's telling you talking about you. You said, yeah, hey, man. at you next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> put, put the at symbol in front of me when you, do, when you say stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> No, but, I, but to your point, you're right, though. Some people, some people like will never get it. I get it. I get what you're saying. So, I'm sorry, Corey Captain. Corey. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's that's fine. Um, and I honestly just had that conversation with somebody else over a family member. One of my family members got me so upset. And I was like, I don't understand why they're acting like this at 60 plus. And then my friend was like, Well, they're raggedy. They've been raggedy. Listen, and they go. What, what did my Angela tell you? My Angela said, Look, people show you who they are every day. It's up to you to believe them. 
Facts. You know what I mean? So yeah. I was like, all right. But I, I think, so I think it's, to, I think to a certain extent, I think it is an echo chamber on some sides. Because mm-hmm. I do just kind of put myself around people who, like, you know, who are talking about the same stuff. Like, I don't really care what the Kardashians are doing. I don't care. The only, I did get involved with the entanglement stuff. But I got involved with it to kind of educate because I thought that it was like something trendy that people were talking about. I said, okay, well, this is a good time to educate. But I normally don't get involved with pop culture. I'm usually trying to, you know, find a plumber or find a solution to some kind of issue. Like I'm really trying to do something. So to me, like all that other stuff is is too much. I'll just unfriend or unfollow if it's like a family, unfollow yeah. if it's a family member, I mean, I- anybody else. I'm like, whatever. I like a little bit of ratchetness, but what I will say is this, though, the thing about pop culture, what you just said is true. It, you can use it as a way to to educate. Right. So one of the reasons I put up the crazy memes pretty much on a daily basis, is because that I get an inbox every day and it allows us to open up and start that dialogue. And it started yep. from just a joke. It starts as a joke. And then you, you actually get to have a dialogue with someone. Um, but let me ask you this question, because you shared something interesting about the whole thing of not being admitted to the bar. Um, what has been your biggest hurdle that you've had to overcome? Is it that or is it something else? To get to where you are now from where you started, what has been your biggest hurdle? Myself. Okay, explain what you mean by that. Um, my Myself in terms of my limiting beliefs, myself in terms of doing things that were not necessarily in alignment with what I thought my life should look like. Um, partially because I didn't believe that I could have the life that I wanted or all those, all those other things. Mm. Um, so really just myself, like that's, that's my biggest thing. Cause once I get my mindset on something, y'all it's curtains, but it's also appreciating that about myself because again, you can do a lot of things, but you're not, you're not going to do all things well. So understanding that every shiny object that is out there or thing that's interesting it's not necessarily for you. Like a lot of people, um, like I don't really talk about credit that I don't really talk about credit that much at all, but I know a lot about credit because I've been through the ringer with credit, but that's not something that I think I need to do in my business. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that like st- sticks out to me throughout this entire conversation is the whole idea of self-awareness. Like you're, you're, you're real big on understanding what you're strong at and where your shortcomings are and, and, you know, just being very self-aware. So I think that's like ringing through with everything that you're saying. Is that like a conscious thing where you like, you know, I'm going to be honest with myself and and be self-aware? Kind of. I mean, so what happened is when I lived in West Virginia, I was by myself a lot. You know, I didn't really have, I had friends, but I didn't have any family there. My closest family was in Pittsburgh, which is an hour and 10 minutes away. My good friends from college that I had were in Pittsburgh, which were an hour and 10 minutes away. And so I spent a lot of time with myself and there were certain aspects of myself that I was like, I don't really like that aspect of your personality. You know, when you're kind of like with yourself by yourself, you kind of go, Hmm, I don't really like that. You know? And it was, it was, took some time of, you know, really saying, you know, what, what do I love about myself and what do I not love about myself? And what are the things that even if I don't love about myself, am I willing to change it? Some stuff I was just like, that's just me. Oops. I ain't doing it. That's not what I'm going to do. And there's other stuff that was like, you know what, if I change this, I can improve something else. Um, so it just really depends, but being by yourself and trying to get to know yourself and just growing up. Um, and I knew I didn't go to law school in Philadelphia because I knew I needed to grow up. I was doing a lot of partying before I went to law school because I was making a lot of money at Merrill. I I don't ask me where that money went because I don't know. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> but again, that's being, you know, that was like, you're looking at your bank account. Like you had a lot of money last year and you were doing nothing. You even spent a whole month in the Philippines. Where is your money? So those are the conversations that I was having with myself. Um, and then, you know, and the answers always kind of came back to, because initially I wasn't like, oh, Courtney, why don't you have any money? It was just like, yo, life is hard or whatever the case may be. And it's like, no, all the answers actually come back to you and what you're doing. The reason why you're in whatever situation you're in, good, bad, or indifferent, is because of the decision that you made or did not make. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Because one thing to uh, say, these are the things I don't like or, or, or have that, but to also take action is one, on the things you think you should take action, but you're very open and honest about it. You're transparent about it. Like, so I, I think that's rather impressive. Um, and maybe that's because you're a teacher. So you like to use even yourself as a way to educate other people. Yeah. Um, man. So now next question. Um, what had what book would you say is your favorite book or that has inspired you along your journey? Ooh, so you can give more than one. If you have more than one, you can give a couple, but I just like to see like, you know, what kind of reading material we want to add to it. We have a comprehensive list that we keep with guests, uh, that we add books to to kind of like build up a little library. So what what would be your book? Okay, so volume one and volume two of the tax code. Oh interesting. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. You're, you're, like, trying people, you're trying to put people to sleep. But I, I know why you say that, though. I, 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 think, I think I know why. The, the tax exactly. code. No, she just said it. The tax code is the cheat code. That's it. Okay. Exp That's explain that for people watching. Why is the tax code the cheat code, in your opinion? So the tax code tells you, first of all, the tax code incentivizes certain types of income or certain types of work and disincentivizes other certain types of income and other types of work. So if I earn money, like if I exchange dollars for hours, I'm going to pay more money in taxes on that income as opposed to me having a buy and hold investment that I decide to cash out on. Okay. So I can either, like, I think my marginal tax rate, I think it's like 34% somewhere around there, but my capital gains tax, if I held, hold an investment, either it's a capital asset, so real estate or stock, um, if I hold that longer than a year and I sell at a gain, I'm going to pay 15% on my profit. Huh? So I, if I do less work, I get to keep more. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. So I think that kind of stuff. I think that's part of a really good example. Also, stepped up basis. If I have, a, if I buy Google in two thousand and three at a hundred dollars a share, and you know I die in you know two thousand and ten, whenever like we'll say whatever, whenever two thousand and ten is, and it's like maybe seven hundred dollars share. It wasn't, but we'll go with it. So I have a six hundred dollars you know, gain um, per share. Cool. But the thing is, if I die with that, my, my, whoever receives that uh, stock as a, you know, as a, as a beneficiary of my stock, that whole gain, that $600 a gain per share goes away and it's called stepped up basis. So basically I, they, the government doesn't get to touch that $600 in gain. And that's because of the tax code. It's actually, they call it like, everybody's looking for a loophole. It's the biggest loophole in the tax code. It's right there in plain sight. I think it's like 1231 maybe i may be making that up don't quote me on that but that is in the tax code <laughs> so my point is is that there's a lot of jewels in the tax code that a lot of people miss because they don't read it they if anybody tells you something like yeah you can do this and it's tax you know it's tax this is the tax consequences go to the tax code or even go to the irs website like you can search their stuff and you can usually find an answer it may not be a complete answer because they can't address everything but at least put you in the ballpark but so many people lose out on really 
great opportunities to make more money and keep more money because they don't understand it. So that's why I say the tax code is cheat code. So I can sit at home and on my computer and and buy buy some stock today, sell it, you know, a year plus a day from now, and I have, you know, I can make a hundred thousand. We'll say I make a hundred thousand dollars. None of, you know, it's only taxable at such a small fraction. But if I make that same hundred thousand dollars, the government gonna take all my money and then some, and I'm gonna be mad. Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 bars right there. So the tax code is the cheat code. Uh, it sounds like a, a show one, title. Volume code. one and two. Volume, volume one not, and not two. Not just volume. He sound like Jigger. Tell me some volume one and two. <laughs> <laughs> so the tax code is too big. So for for classes, we would have in a condensed version. But actually, the full code is two books. So yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's that's. that's, that's, that's it. You know what I mean? She out there sounding like she really dropped, you know, a, a, a bar every summer. You know what I mean? Like she... I didn't want to include. No, but that that's 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 very that's very powerful because um, and we've talked about this in the past how folks only worry about tax time when it comes around April, right? But taxes mm-hmm. are something that you should worry about all year long because I mean, it's one thing to make more money, but to keep more of what you make is even you know that's even more powerful. And yeah. and those incentives, yeah. like and those incentives, that's 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 amazing. So. What is the future for the Ivy investor? Where do you see yourself going in the future with your business? But I have more books. Oh, you got more books. Okay, give us more books, though. Listen, more books. Let's go. Let's go. So, One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. He was the manager of the Magellan Fund for, I don't know, for years. I think it is still the best performing mutual fund ever. So that's my favorite book because he kind of breaks down stock market investing kind of just in everyday terms, just like, hey. It's very simplified. He simplifies it. He definitely love does. It. My favorite, favorite book about investing. Um, what else do I have? I'm just trying to think of what else I have in my pocket. Um, the Richest Man in Babylon. George The Carson. Alchemist. The yep. Alchemist. Um, what else? Um, the, 10, the 10X Rule. Oh, yeah. Uh, 10X by Grant Cardone. Yeah. yeah. That's yep. a really yeah. good one because that I, that was a that's one of the the mentality shifts, kind of changing my mindset about things because I think one of the things that I noticed that we kind of limit ourselves off the bat is that we limit ourselves by salary or hourly wage. So they're like, yeah, I can make a hundred thousand dollars a year, okay, but if you're in sales, you can make a hundred thousand dollars a month. Yeah. So you limit yourself by kind of having this salary. So understanding, okay, one, I need to set some, I always, always set goals. I've always been a goal setter, but like setting like big, bold, like hairy, audacious, like them big old goals. And when you hit them, you're like, I see you court. (laughs) (laughs) You know, really kind of getting yourself. And then also the compound effect. So there's two things, and the compound effect is basically like the, the whole process is that everything that you do builds up to something. Um, yep. and, and I think that's really important is that, you know, I, I think we get ourselves into a microwave society that we expect everything to be done in 30 seconds or less. And sometimes that's just not the case. But but we kind of get excited when we see overnight successes. And it's like, no, this person, the overnight success, but they've been working for 10 years. Like, come on. Like, people look at my Instagram and they're like, yo, your Instagram, you got a blue check. You know, you got XYZ followers, da 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 da. And it's like, oh, they feel like you're like, I, I just popped up overnight. And I was like, I've been doing this. Look at my feed. Like, I've been doing this for a while. And so, again, now people are starting to see, but I've been laying the foundation. And it's really all about that foundation. Your foundation has to be strong. And I just feel like so many people don't put in the work, but they want the, you know, they really want the, 
the other side of it. Like when I was talking to people in college and I'll just tell you, I was, I was talking to them. I wasn't doing anything else. I was talking to the people in the, in the college. So when I was having the conversations with the, with the people in college and I will just leave it at that. Um, what I would always share is the story of Hecate Penn and Hecate Penn. I don't know how I found it. My parents told me about it when I was a baby or something like, you know, nursery rhymes, but I thought it was such a really powerful story. You had this like hen that was making bread. So she's like, Hey, who wants to help me get the wheat? And then, you know, the squirrel was like, no, the duck was like, no, everybody was like, no, basically I'm busy. Cool. She was like, all right, cool. So she got her wheat. Then she like has, she's like, all right, I'm, I got the wheat. Who wants to help me, gr- you know, grind the wheat? Everybody's like, oh, I'm busy. The owl was like, no, I'm good. Da-da-da-da. So same thing. So every single process, she's like, every single step of this bread making process, you know, she was asking for help and everybody was like, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. So when she finally gets done with the bread and it's now sitting on, sitting hot on the, the, um, the windowsill to cool off, now everybody wants a piece of bread. Wait a second. What work did you do to get this bread? Literally and figuratively. None. Yeah. But again, I think it's the compound effect again. It's like, hey, you know, there was something that went into this each step. You see the final product product of the bread, but there was more there to it. There was there was more of a process there that you weren't you weren't too tuned in to actually appreciate. Nor did you even want to engage yourself in. So yeah. that's that's a big that was that was a big thing for me. Yeah, they weren't they weren't with her shooting in the gym. That's what it like, mm-hmm. you know. That's another, <laughs> that's, another, that's another way to say it. But yeah. that, that's 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 true though. It's, you got to put the work in, and, and and people don't see that. Um, you know, especially as you're building a business up, as a, as you build, you have customers, or if you're on, on online, you have followers, whatever it may be. You need to serve. I don't care whether you have 15 people watching you. you need to serve those 15 people. You know what I mean? Because you can go back in your feed and just like go back and see like the growth from time. And, but you've been putting the work in for a long time. Yeah. So this is awesome. But let's talk about the future of the Ivy investor. What is the future of the Ivy investor? You know, I don't know. I really don't know. And the, and the reason I know you got why, a big audacious goal. Share your big audacious goal. With you us. know, so I hit some of my big, big, bold, audacious goals. Like I really did. Like I don't even I was trying to figure out before we got on like where I stuck my list. So I actually had a list that I was working on. So I was crossing stuff off. I was putting the date by the side. I was doing all this other stuff. And now I can't find a list. It's around though. Definitely around. But I kind of was thinking to myself over the last, I've been feeling very uneasy, like not uneasy in a bad way, but just restless. I'm like, all right, court, like, what are we doing next? Like, what are we, you know, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? And my answer to myself was like, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm kind of still here, like I don't know, like what I'm, what I have right in front of me is I'm doing a mastering of seven streams of income summit. Um, a lot of people talk about, oh, you need the average millionaire has needs to have seven streams of income, or they have seven streams of income, or however they want to make that statement. But the thing is, is that you know there's no such thing as an average millionaire, so that's the first thing. But the second thing is, is that I think it's really important that people know that seven streams of income doesn't mean seven different jobs where you're exchanging dollars for hours or seven different businesses um, because you're, you know, a, you know, master, uh, you're a jack of all jack trades, master. Trade. Yeah. Jack of all trades, master of none. So again, it's actually using what you have, which is usually your earned income and putting it into other streams. Like, you know, you have dividend income, which is income that you get dividend money that you're getting profits and earnings from stock. Okay, cool. 
So you have that coming in. You have capital gains when you buy or when you buy or sell, excuse me, when you sell a, cap, a capital asset as a profit, you have business income. If you have a business and you have um, profit coming in, a profit income, that's that's another stream. You have interest income. I have a, I have a bank account. So ooh, look, I have an interest income. So again, it's not about making everything about what I can do or what I can physically be in the marketplace to do, because at the end of the day, you're going to get old. You're going to get tired. You could get sick. So you can't show up every single market every day in the marketplace to actually make money. So how do you allow yourself to make money without you being there, without you physically needing to show up? And that's what the seven streams of income is about. So that's what um, I'm doing a summit about. So it's basically three nights, six experts, and we're all kind of talking about the best ways to ma master that stream of income. So um, I have um, Terry um, Ijeoma, who is a master trader. She's just killing the game. She's awesome. Um, I have Letitia Styles. She's teaching about how to how to profit with your business income. I'm teaching dividends. Um, Kendra Barnes is teaching uh, real estate. I have another young lady. She's talking about how to increase your earned income. And then I have finally I have an attorney, a trademark attorney, talking about how to monetize your trademarks and basically how to deal with royalty income. So we're just covering all of that. And it's it's just about having these conversations on a regular basis so people know that I just don't have to go to work every single day. I'm not telling you not to go to work. Don't Courtney said for me not to no, I didn't. No, 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 I didn't. I didn't tell you that. But you know, it's other ways for you to make money as opposed to just sitting at the desk. I remember I was sitting at this when I was working for the city, I was looking at my I was looking at my phone and I was like, Did I make more money in my my investments that I did this week? at my job something wrong. wrong like something's wrong so again but again i still had the, the good city benefits right good city retirement so i was like okay we'll just calm down but again once i realized that it first i realized in my head that it was possible that anything could happen um then i started seeing those seeing little glimmers of anything happening um and i was I, I took the lid off my top i took the lid off um so that's kind of like what I have going on. So the summit is Monday, August 17th through uh, Wednesday, August 19th. It's, um, it's available. It's going to be taught live, but the replay is also available if you miss it. And it will also be hosted on TV. Teachable after the summit's over because I was telling people you're not going to catch all the jewels live. So you're probably going to have to rewatch it anyway. So I'm, you know, I'm excited to have everybody. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. And we will put the, we will put the link uh, to the summit um, right in the description. And we're also going to put it uh, in our bio and all of our social media um, accounts. We'll put the link to make sure you can attend that summit because that's very powerful. Because what we're talking about is uh, putting your best employees to work. Because people say, how many employees you got? I say, I got a bunch of old white men that work for me. Um, you know, former presidents actually work in my uh, company. <laughs> you got, you got to put the old white men to work. My, 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 my official job title is Money Pimp. I send them out on the stroll to bring, <laughs> to send them back out. You, you, I send them out to bring, to bring, to bring more back in. I said, go ahead, go no, ahead, get out there. Powerful. Get out there. I will, shake, I will shake, never forget. Shake, shake I will never forget. Head. Like the first dividend check I got, and it was like a small one. It wasn't even that much money. It was like thirty-four cent. But I remember the first time I was like, "Hold on, I didn't do anything." Like it like it like blew my mind that you can like put money out and then you get money back. And it's like there's a whole paradigm shift once you realize that. So that that should be a powerful event. You have some amazing speakers. Kudos to you for putting that together because uh you got some you got some heavy hitters on that uh that 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 doctor. Yeah, so make man. sure you take a look at that. Like, you know, um, and like I said, we'll put a link to that in the description as well as our um our bio and 
also you'll be able to see it on the Ivy Investor page. So, man, that, that's amazing that um, you have that coming up. Um, and Courtney, you want to say thank you, first off, for your time, because your time is valuable. You know, you attorneys like to charge per hour. So, um, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. so, I, have, I have a little yeah. bit of experience with that, too. <laughs> yeah, so your time is your time is literally valuable. So you want to say thank you for that. Also, for those watching, make sure you check all of us out because we all do a show together every Sunday live um, on Facebook as well as YouTube, uh, the Black Wealth Project, where it's us three, as well as um, we have three other uh, partners that come on and we, you know, we have fun and talk about issues within the black community as it pertains to wealth, um, not just finances, but overall wealth. And you mentioned that, too. You mentioned that, um, you know, when you start looking at the, the overall picture, it kind of changes you as well. So it's not just about money. Right. Yeah. So anyway, Courtney, I just want to say thank you for your time. Um, you. We'll make sure that uh, we get the information out about what you have going on with the summit and make sure we see if we can get some folks to uh, attend there. I know my wife said she wants to attend. Once she saw all the girl power you had in the lineup, she said she's going, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I think my wife is going to have to get a sit down course also. Like she's going <laughs> to be sitting front and center also. Yeah, no yes. doubt. I'm so excited. I actually have my assistant working one of the nights because I have a, another engagement. So my little assistant who gets paid, he gets paid at the end of the end of the summer. I'm super excited about this. And half of his pay is going to what? A Roth IRA. So I had to get that out there. Yeah, that's fire too. Because you know, setting up a, a youngster with a Roth IRA that has a lot of time to cook, and you know, um, and what that does for your taxes too. Man, how old is your assistant? Yeah. Hmm? 14. How old is your wow. So you're getting him yeah. started at 14. So imagine when he turns 40. Man. Anyway, <laughs> to the folks out there listening, make sure you share this episode. Make sure you check out everything Courtney has going on. Make sure you get a ticket to her summit because that should be powerful. Um, give us some feedback on this episode. Let us know what you think. Uh, you know, share it with your family and friends so we can get this information in front of them. And again, Courtney, thank you. Um, you, you know, we love you and appreciate you. And, uh, you know, thanks for your time. And we're going to wish you nothing but continued success moving forward. And to our audience out there, as we always say, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much you keep. Game elevates and we shall see you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.